Hey gang, this is Lisa Peck, and welcome to Revive with Lisa Peck podcast. I am so excited about helping you learn how to be more relationally attuned. In a world filled with struggles and conflict and tension, I hope to make relational health fun and easy. Not all of us need therapy, not all of us can afford therapy, but I believe all of us can grow more wise and insightful and engaging in the connections we have with ourselves, with others, and with our God. I'm convinced that all of us can learn the art of calm, of awareness, and of investing relationally. Through my podcast, I hope to give you an opportunity to listen and maybe even practice with your own people. And in so doing, together, we get to help usher in a relational revival. Welcome to Revive with Lisa Peck. Again, I am so excited about this next interview I have with a woman named Tara Sampler. She's one of the licensed therapists at Center for Relational Care in Atlanta, and she is an amazing young woman. She works with individuals, marriages, and families in crisis, and is trained in not only intimacy therapy, but also EMDR, a technique used with trauma victims. She facilitates marriage intensives at Windshape Retreat in Rome, Georgia, as well as has a growing practice herself in Atlanta. She has a lot of varied experiences. She was raised in South Carolina, but went to graduate school in Louisiana, which is where she met Jason, her husband. They have six kiddos, and I cannot wait for you to hear about them. She's also going to be sharing with us about how you move through the holidays with a lot of little people, and potentially when some of those little people or even teenagers have trauma. What do we do? What do we not do? How do we walk through that season with the greatest amount of grace while still trying to actually enjoy our own holiday season. Can it be done? I cannot wait for you to hear some of her thoughts and suggestions. What I love about her is she is passionate about some of the same things that I'm passionate about. Specifically, she loves Jesus and her family. She's an advocate for social justice as well as for foster and adoption care, and she loves coffee. In fact, if we have enough time, I'm going to have her share about how she roasts her own coffee beans in a very inexpensive way. It blew my coffee snob husband's mind. And you all will learn what Carl is going to be getting from me for Christmas this year. Tara is such a useful resource. Plus, she's absolutely delightful. You are going to love her. Well, hi, Tara. It is so good to hear from you. How are you doing? Hi, Lisa. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, and um, we're doing well, gearing up for holidays season um, in our house uh, with all of all of these people we've got. Absolutely. Okay, I'm going to work really hard because people know that when I get excited, the pitch of my voice goes up. So I'm going to try to not dysregulate. I'm going to try and just keep my voice calm. But I am so excited for our listeners to hear from you. You have such a wealth of information and some beautiful life experience. So let's just jump right in. Would you tell people about your family? Tell us about you and Jason and then tell us about your family. Sure. So Jason and I have been married for a little over 11 years, and we have six kids. Um, They are ages 18. Our oldest is 18, and she's a girl. And then we have four boys after that. We have um, a nine-year-old, 
We have a seven-year-old. We have a six-year-old. They all just had birthdays, so I'm tr- making sure I got it all right. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then, and then our uh, youngest son is almost three. Okay. And then our baby girl is mm. just over one. Little Lou. Wow, that is a beautiful, beautiful age range. Yeah. It's a pretty big jump from 18 yeah. to nine. Okay, so tell us, how did yes. how did God develop your family? How did God grow your family? <laughs> yeah, so when Jason and I were dating, we started talking about adoption, actually. Um, we talked about adoption on our first date, which is mm-hmm. kind of interesting <laughs> First it's a little intense, topic. but sounds like something yeah. I would do. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. Um, so we we really have had a desire and a passion for adoption from the very beginning. Um, that was kind of the our plan for building our family was through adoption, and then um, our oldest Judson he came along and he was a surprise. Um, he's biological, and uh, so. We were we're very thankful for him, absolutely. Um, but he was he's a surprise. Mm-hmm. When he was about two and a half, we really started thinking that we wanted to jump into adoption. Um, but adoption is so expensive. Even domestic adoption is mm-hmm. pretty expensive. Jason really started doing some research, and he found some information about foster care through uh, Catholic charities. We were in New Orleans at the time. Mm-hmm. And he really tried to convince me that this is what we needed to do was to go through the foster system. And I said, absolutely no way. Were you already in your graduate program? Were you already in counseling? Yes. Yes. (laughs) No, thank you, sweetheart. Uh, I said, nope, not going to happen. And uh, I just remember I was uh, driving from New Orleans to visit my family in South Carolina. That's where I grew up. And I saw this sign, uh, this billboard that had, uh, it said something like 400 and over 400,000 kids in the foster system. And I just started weeping. Mm. Um, God just really, uh, just really was like, Tara, this is, this is your path. This is the path I have for you. And so God and I argued a little bit more about that <laughs> because I'm also, I'm also pretty stubborn and set in my way. Which probably serves you well now, but at the time, yeah. It, it does. It does. Yeah. Shortly after that, about a month later, we really started pursuing foster adoption and we had it in our mind that we were going to pursue children who are already waiting. That's something that a lot of people don't know. We have over a hundred thousand kids in the foster system Mm. whose parental rights have been terminated. So they're legal orphans and uh, they're, they're waiting for families. And so that, so that's really where we were geared towards and God really directed our paths Mm -hmm. and had us start fostering. And so that's where we started first. We started fostering. And then our second placement is actually our uh, six-year-old. And mm-hmm. today is his gotcha day. Today is the day six oh, years ago that wow. he came to be with our family. Um, 
And so, but we, we fostered several kids in between there. And we had um, Isha join our family. She's our oldest when she was 14. So mm-hmm. I became the parent of the mm. teenager overnight. Wow. With Jensen was what, three or yes. four? He, so he would have been five, okay. no, six, six at that point. Wow. He would have been six. Yeah. So I, I had about six years of parenting experience. <laughs> I bet you felt really qualified, ready to go. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Right. Piece of cake. Of Piece course. Of cake. No worries. No trauma at all. Of course. Right. Oh right. my gosh. So yeah. Um, and I, I think I probably told her, I don't really know what I'm doing about 20 times that first week. <laughs> I was like, I don't, I don't know how to parent a teenager. I'm sorry. I don't know what I'm doing. Exactly. <laughs> Forgive me. And how, how is she yes. in that space? She is, uh, she's just a brilliant girl. Um, just she she's one of the most compassionate people that I've ever met mm-hmm. um it has not it's not something that has been taught mm-hmm. uh, like she's just gifted with mm-hmm. compassion and um so very compassionate but she she came to us um out of really hard circumstances mm-hmm. and so there is just mm-hmm. a lot of grief and trauma and she's a different race and so there's that too because all of our adopted children are a different race than we are but she grew up in the black community Mm. and so now all of a sudden she's with these crazy white people trying to navigate that trying to honor her culture that she grew up in Mm -hmm. while also just not really knowing um so she's mm. so she gives a lot of grace. <laughs> um, well, and, and you, so. you and Jason are very peaceful people. You exude a calm, oh, which I would imagine is very helpful in your home. I mean, you can be very excited. You and I can get yeah. into some seriously good giggles, but you yes. also are very soothing and calming. So I'm imagining that that probably was mm. very uh, a loving, a safe environment for her. Even in the midst yes, of the loss you. and the hard and the crazy culture change. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It was, it was a learning experience for all of us. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we kind of had to figure out how to do this thing. Um, so, mm. yeah. So that's a little bit about how we wow. got started with Just... all of this. And now we drive a 12 passenger van. We drive Big Bertha. It's so here we come. So do you, dra- so, I know you love your family, but as we right. head into the holidays, we think just about loading up Big Bertha to go Christmas shopping. Tell me what, do you have a sense of dread about the holidays? I mean, you can be honest with us because every every mom I know, whether you have a unique family yeah. that's been blended or you have fosters or littles, everybody can find it stressful over the holidays. But can you just speak to us a little bit about, do you, do you dread it? <laughs> yeah, there, there is a little bit of dread. Um, I, I think 
where I am now, I, I kind of have some things in place and, and so I don't dread it as much, but there's still that a little bit of anxiety. Uh, what's going to happen this year? Right. <laughs> what are we walking into? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, there is a little bit of that. Um, and you know, like you said, it is not just parenting kids from hard places, but even with your little people, our, our youngest two are biological. And I just think about them. They are not able to verbalize what they're thinking, what they're feeling yet. And so even that is a little stressful (laughs) and overwhelming. Um, Why are you throwing yourself on the floor screaming after you just opened a present? (laughs) (laughs) It's got to feel like a good bit of mind reading at times, especially with the littles. And I, I think I use the word dread, but I'm guessing just simply because I don't have biologicals or family of my own in my own home, I I would feel dread, but it's really anxiety. What am I going to do? Yeah. How am I going to do yeah. it? How am I going to set everybody up for success? So it sounds like you now have done it a number of years that it feels a lot more manageable, it sounds like. Yeah, it really does. Um, our hardest part now is getting the rest of our family on board. Mm-hmm. Uh, like this, mm-hmm. this is kind of what, what our family needs. And Jason is so good with that. He's just, you know, he doesn't have a problem setting, setting boundaries at all. Mm-hmm. And so he's so good for me in that way because I, I tend to want to appease people and mm-hmm. I don't like conflict. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. um, but at, what expense, right? Um, I have, I have been entrusted with these little people and it's my job to care for them over what my extended family might be wanting. And so, so that would probably be the hardest part for me as we Mm -hmm. sit right now, but exactly like you said, um, you kind of have to be a mind reader. Mm -hmm. And so just the first thing that I would want people to know whether you're parenting kids from hard places or whether you have just a lot of, you have a tiny army like we do, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, it's just to remain curious. Like that, that is key and so much of our parenting just, hmm, I wonder what that's about. I wonder why <laughs> you have gone through all of your clothes in your drawer and you're now <laughs> naked. Like I, hmm, what could be behind that? <laughs> right. That's where our three-year-old is right now. He, uh, he will change his clothes at bedtime about 15 times until he's gone through everything in his drawer. And I'm like, hmm, <laughs> I don't I understand this, right? (laughs) Yes. Yes. Staying curious. That's excellent. Yeah. Yeah. What other other words of wisdom from the trenches would you you coach our families? Um, Single parents, you know, blended families, the traditional Mm -hmm. nuclear, all of our people. What? what would you recommend or encourage? 
Sure. Um, a key thing for us has been lowering our expectations, mm. uh, especially around the holidays. I, I think that's key in a lot of parenting, lowering, lowering your expectations. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> for aunts and uncles, too, it turns but, out. <laughs> yes, yes. But especially around the holidays, for whatever reason, you know, we have some nostalgia around the holidays and we want to relive just how our childhood experiences were. And we're going to make all of these wonderful memories. We're going to bake all the cookies. We're going to do all the parties. It's going to be perfect. And we're all going to get along. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> and then, and then you have an explosion and then all of a sudden you're on the floor in tears because your perfect holiday season has been ruined by the little person who can't seem to get on your page. Like, what is that about? (laughs) Work with me here. I need you to do right and act right so that I can feel better. Yeah. So what what you're saying is we have to know our own expectations. Mm. And I'm hearing not only lower them, but sometimes even set aside unrealistic mm-hmm. expectations. I, in fact, I even coach folks, expectation is just a prescription for disappointment. So even being aware of that I have an expectation yes. is an important thing, lowering it, or even if I can, setting my expectation aside. Yes, absolutely. You know, it's just, it's just not realistic to go to a big family dinner during nap time. And this is for my little kids. This, this doesn't even include my bigger kids who are the ones who have, who have trauma experiences, you know, because I can, I can predict what's going to happen if we're there during nap time, you know, my kids like their own beds. And so I can predict they're going to have the meltdowns and then, I am going to try everything I can to appease them and to get them on board. Don't you look at this shiny thing over here. Don't you want to have a good time? And at the end of all of that, we're both left feeling frustrated and confused. And my kids are left feeling hurt and misunderstood and And that just isn't fun for anyone. And we, we have to remember that we're the grownups. Right. And that, that's really hard sometimes because I want to have fun and I want to do my own thing. And I, I want the perfect Christmas pictures and I want my kids to have the perfect response when they're, when my extended family gives them gifts and Mm -hmm. that's just not reality. Mm -hmm. And, and so me placing my expectations on someone who is 25, 30 years younger than me is just not fair uh, when I'm the one who is supposed to be leading them and setting the example. So, And I think you raise a good point. There are many of our folks that 
we're not even aware that we're bringing in what I call childhood magical thinking into the Mm -hmm. holidays. So before we even hit it, being mindful of what were my really happy memories about childhood, Mm -hmm. am I running the risk of trying to replicate that and is that healthy? Or what are my really painful mm-hmm. memories of the holidays? And am I trying to do yes. the opposite of that to make sure nobody yes. ever experiences mm-hmm. that pain? So it does sound as if there's there's also some self-awareness that must mm-hmm. take place in the process. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, because if you are not self-aware your kids are going to trigger you mm-hmm. and then, and then you're just in this downward spiral and you can't get out. Mm-hmm. Um, because yeah, I want the perfect Thanksgiving meal. Um, I don't want my kids to sit there and say, I don't like that. I don't want that. What, <laughs> what is this That's weird gross. looking thing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. In in front of everyone, right? Exactly. Uh, I, I want for my family and friends to say, oh, look how perfect her kids are. They're so well behaved. Mm-hmm. But kids are kids too, and they need to have the freedom to be able to act like kids and to have opinions and feelings mm-hmm. and just the same respect I would want for me, right? To be able to respect them and that too. And and our kiddos don't always know how to manage their thoughts and their emotions. They're still Mm -hmm. learning how to do that. So we get to extend a little bit more grace in our teaching and training in them. Well, that was a pretty abrupt ending to this first part of my interview with Tara. But isn't she fabulous? I'd originally told her we'd talk for about 20, 30 minutes. Ha! Our interview was actually over an hour. Tara shares such relevant information from which everyone can glean valuable insights that I couldn't decide what to cut. So I divided the interview into three parts. The first part of the interview, we learned how Tara's family started though she and Jason discussed their mutual desire for adopting through foster care on their first date, it wasn't until she was on a drive home to South Carolina from New Orleans, where she was in her graduate program, that God got her attention. She saw a billboard advertising the need for the over 400,000 children in the foster care system. She was moved with such compassion that she began weeping, And the Lord spoke right to her heart about his desire for her family, as well as his timing for it. She complied, eventually. To date, they have three biological and three adopted children and drive a 12-passenger van they call Big Bertha. Their oldest joined the family when she was 14 years old. Tara explained that she became the parent of a teenager overnight and with only six years of parenting under her belt. Can you imagine? Talk about a woman of faith. She further explained that Isha is brilliant and one of the most compassionate people Tara's ever met, though it was not something the young lady learned through having been taught. Weren't you grieved to hear there are over 100,000 legal orphans in our country, children whose parents' legal rights have been terminated? 
Isn't it sobering? As a therapist and relational educator, fostering isn't for just anyone. It's my prayer and deep conviction that we grow in our own relational skills and personal healing so we are enabled and equipped to minister to the least of these. These precious ones have been through enough difficulties not to be thrust into a family not yet prepared to calmly and consistently love them where they are without forcing them into where they need to be for our own comfort. It's one of the many things I appreciate so much about Tara and Jason. Though she admitted she was very aware of her inadequacy as a new mom of a teenager, they kept learning and growing and studying ways to stay grounded in order to best love and serve their family. She seeks to keep the kids' needs the priority, even though it might bring disappointment to those outside her family. For example, I asked if she dreaded the holidays. Wisely, she changed my word of dread to her word of anxiety. What's going to happen this year? Or what are we walking into? Can any of you parents identify with those questions and that stress? She reminded us little people can't verbalize what they're thinking or feeling. She admitted the hardest part for her was getting the rest of her extended family on board. She stated it so eloquently. I have been entrusted with these little people and it's my job to care for them over what my extended family might be wanting. We need to be aware of our own expectations to set them aside. Boy, how true is that, Tara? So I asked her how she accomplished this. She made several suggestions. Number one, remain curious. Allow your heart and mind to wonder about the why behind the action or reaction. Number two, let's lower our expectations in parenting in general and around the holidays. She said, me placing my expectations on someone who is 25, 30 years younger than me is just not fair when I'm the one who's supposed to be leading them and setting the example. Number three, be prepared for trauma when it gets triggered. Sagely, she added, if you are not self-aware, your kids are going to trigger you and then you are on a downward spiral and you can't get out. She isn't just speaking to parents with kids from hard places. She's speaking to all of us. Number four, plan for the curveballs. You know your kids better than anyone. You know how long they can handle certain events or sensory overload. Be prepared before they lose it. You know when it's nap time. You get to plan around their schedule and limitations to enable your family to have the smoothest experience possible. Know how long you plan to stay at an event prior to arrival. I appreciated Tara's honesty that her husband Jason is much better at setting and maintaining boundaries than she is. Don't be afraid to rely on other adults to help you with this. Like I said, we had a rather abrupt ending to the first part of this series, but it was super helpful. Next week, you'll have the opportunity to learn more in part two of Relational Management of the Christmas Crazies, where Tara describes what can sometimes happen around extended families when you have small children or kids with trauma experiences and highlights what we can do. She discusses the term dysregulation, 
and how that shows up in our children's behavior. Because she has so many kiddos, she provides multiple variations on dysregulated kids, as well as strategies for helping everyone calm down and cope in healthier ways. In the last part of this series, I ask Tara to weigh in on whether or not it's actually possible, given all the stressors and special needs of our littles or families with trauma, to enjoy the holidays. The short answer is absolutely. Tara then describes her strategies for making the season special for everyone, as well as ways she and Jason are able to maintain their sanity. Her podcast interviews will take us right up to Christmas Eve, and I trust you will enjoy it. Let me close today with the words of Paul Young, author of The Shack, Every human being is holy ground, if we have the eyes to see it. Until next time.